Hi, I have been hard at work completing my book, Finding Ahimsa. This book has been, well, it started out as a bunch of journal entries when I was feeling really sick and really scared and just trying to process all of the things that were coming my way. Uh, when I guess it was before I, I knew I had a disease, I knew something was wrong with me, but I didn't know what yet. And after getting out of the hospital, I felt compelled to, I don't know that I even knew it was a book then. <laughs> I, I definitely put it in a book format. I recognized that it, it could read like a book. Uh, but after I had put it into its first draft format, um, I actually had to put it away for a while. I put it away for about six months and I couldn't look at it. And after six months, I thought, okay, I'm ready. And not only am I ready, but I really wanted to share it. Um, I don't think this book is for everyone. Who is this book for? I would say this book is for people who really like to access uh, their grief by hearing the stories of others. Uh, people who love learning about NVC, because I use a lot of NVC in this book. I would also say that this book is probably uh, validating for people who have their own disease journey, perhaps chronic illness. Uh, who else? Oh, people who want to support me. <laughs> uh, this is one of the ways that I'm trying to contribute in the world and receive back in the world. So uh, it is a way to, to show support to me and to the work that I'm doing. Um, I can't think, I feel like there's one that I'm missing, but I can't remember what it is. So I will just keep going. I'm doing this intro off the cuff. Uh, who the book is not for, I would say there's sort of two main groups that I feel protective of. Uh, the first group that I feel protective of are people who've gone through medical trauma. I actually don't want people who are still in the midst of working through their, their medical trauma, I think that this would be triggering. I, I don't think that's a good choice for them. I, I would recommend protecting yourself if you are still um, feeling the, the pain of your medical trauma. I also think that this book would be a really hard read for people who um, feel really strongly. Okay, so probably in two different directions. If you feel really strongly about the pandemic on either side of the spectrum, this might not be a great book for you because I'm trying to bridge those two parts. I'm not saying I always do a great job of it, but that is what I'm trying to do in this book. I'm trying to find my way to, to open-heartedness, to understanding and compassion for myself and for other people. Uh, I wanted to share the intro to this book because I thought that it might be helpful for you to see what the book is about. And uh, yeah, I guess also, if I'm honest, also to see if there's interest in the book, to generate some interest in the book. So I am excited to read it to you. I'm not going to have the video be entirely of me reading. I'm going to now... Uh, share the audio and my intention is to also share some pictures uh, that would go along with what I'm reading. So here's the forward to my book. 
Finding Ahimsa by Aaron Fleming, a memoir about developing compassion and a heart so open we have no enemies. Forward. Many of us don't experience our resilience as triumphant. Many of us had no other choice and the entire experience was painful. Dr. Glenn Doyle. As I write this introduction, nearly a year after my diagnosis, it feels as though I have lived a decade in the span of a year. At the same time, there are some memories that still feel raw and fresh. I don't know how both sensations can be so alive at the same time, but they are. There are countless health stories out there. Each of us have them. Sometimes they are shared in families, around the dining room table, or between friends over mugs of warm, warm tea. Occasionally, a person's disease journey strikes a chord with the larger community, inviting all of us to reflect on living, healing, and dying. When we pay attention, we discover these stories are all around us because illness and disease touch all of our lives in one way or another. If you find that you haven't had a disease story yet, give it time. All of us who are lucky enough to live without tragedy or violence will eventually have disease stories. And yes, I believe we are the lucky ones. I'm one of the luckiest, in fact, because my life gets to keep going. My personal story continues to evolve. When people approach death, they can sometimes experience profound emotions that lead to improved relationships, learning, and enlightenment. My friend Kinga, who has worked as a death support worker, also known as a death doula, calls it dancing with death. I think my health experience has given me the gifts of reflection without the dying part. My experience was so beautiful, albeit sometimes painfully beautiful, but beautiful nonetheless. I think that is the burden and the gift that comes with the experience of dancing with death and walking away from it alive. Not everyone who gets sick gets to keep living, so I feel compelled to share, and yet how could I possibly do this justice? How could I explain illness, death, and dying to another person who has not experienced it firsthand? Can I share my story in a way that brings you the same gifts of learning I received while honoring the people who are still in their disease journey or perhaps facing steeper mountains than I have? Is it possible to convey how profoundly meaningful life is and how equally insignificant we all are? I'm not sure, but I'll try. I find myself regularly humbled by the stories of overcoming adversity from those around me. In fact, the more perceptive and sensitive I become to the heartache of others, the more aware I am of my luck. Admittedly, it is scary for me to share, knowing that I might be judged for my understanding of the world at this moment when it is just a snapshot of a larger continuing continuum of ongoing learning and understanding. While I feel vulnerable and exposed, I still wish to share. I began writing this memoir after a night of not being able to breathe. During this sliver of time when my fear was most heightened and I didn't know how my story would end, I began writing. The urge to write was perhaps related to that uncertainty. Writing my story allowed me to choose how the narrative was framed. 
I still tear up remembering how desperately I wanted to live and how precious life suddenly felt. I've been lucky to have been so healthy up until now. I have more privilege carrying me along in life than I'm sure I'll ever be aware of. In addition to access to nutritious food and shelter and safety, I've been surrounded by kind and generous people. I believe all of those things have contributed to my good health. While I have had some close call moments that left my heart pounding, overall, I have been privileged enough to assume I will grow old. After two years of struggling to breathe, I was getting progressively worse. I realized that my lungs would likely last another month, but I doubted I could last another six weeks. I wanted my story to be captured in case I didn't make it, and I wanted it to be a story that was beautiful, regardless of the ending. Upon leaving the hospital, I wanted to share my story more broadly on behalf of those that couldn't. We all want to live, or more specifically, we all want to love and be loved. Illness and disease highlights this fundamental wish, but not everyone gets to express it. I'm not sure what other audiobooks do when they come across a graphic, but I'm going to do my best to explain it. I have a graphic that is a chart and it shows in Canada the new confirmed cases that of COVID. Um, and on one axis, there is the, the number of confirmed cases and along the other axis, axis there is uh, dates listed. And uh, you can see that there is a huge spike in cases that happened in January of 2022. There were over 40,000 confirmed cases that are on this chart in that time period in Canada. And this chart was last updated March 30th, 2022. The huge spike in national COVID cases presented in this graph illustrates the moment in time and space when I realized I likely wouldn't last another month and needed to be hospitalized. In the middle of the largest wave of the pandemic, I needed emergency surgery. It was during this time that I became a witness to the effects of the pandemic firsthand as a hospital patient. The experience felt more surreal because of the collective societal exhaustion surrounding protective mandates and the resistance of a vocal minority. In an atmosphere of scarcity and fear, I was at my most vulnerable. Standing on the other side of this experience now, I can delve into the emotions of the experience at the time, I couldn't reflect with as much depth or acknowledge how scary it was to experience a lung disease in the middle of a pandemic. I also realized under non-pandemic circumstances, my diagnosis, treatment, and recovery paths would have looked different, but I also wouldn't have had the opportunity to learn as much as I have along the way. In this book and in my daily life, I practice and share compassionate communication as a set of techniques and a mindset I've learned from various nonviolent communication or NVC practitioners and trainers. When I share the word nonviolence, some people find it off-putting. The word is actually a clunky translation of the Sanskrit word ahimsa, 
which means something akin to a state of heart so open we have no enemies. Imagine feeling so at peace that you have no enemies and no one is causing you pain. Throughout my disease experience, I believe one of the healthiest things I did for myself was to continually strive to find that ahimsa. I wanted to understand why people chose strategies that were so different from mine and saw the world so differently from me while simultaneously grappling with my own feelings of fear and hurt. Marshall Rosenberg, the psychologist who initiated the NVC movement in the 1960s, has a saying, if you want to avoid hurting people, all I can advise you to do is to become a nice dead person. Being compassionate doesn't mean being nice to everyone or downplaying the violence we see in the world. In my understanding of NVC, living a life of nonviolence includes embarking in difficult conversations and making changes that strive to dismantle systems of oppression. It is easy to feel overwhelmed by the complexities and often painful divides we see in our communities. Although this story is about my experience throughout the COVID pandemic, I think that the process of deeply leaning into our most painful moments with compassion can be universally applied. I believe that when we stop trying to get people to do what we want and instead try to hear the needs expressed beneath the pain, we can begin to truly understand one another. When we build bridges based on compassion, we find ways to connect and heal. This work of building bridges also involves understanding the structural elements at play. Individual and collective needs are interconnected and evolving as we live each moment together. As a collective, human beings are influenced by the lives and experiences of those who have come before us. The choices we make today also influence the lives of others now and in the future in ways beyond our comprehension. Understanding our individual and collective needs and how each has an influence on our choices can bring wisdom and clarity. Do our choices represent what we wish to value? Are there other things we wish to value, but we haven't discovered strategies to honor all of these parts yet? Working to understand our needs is both painful and beautiful, and the process often involves grieving beyond what Western culture is used to. I have found mourning to be a regenerative process. In my personal life, NVC is a strategy that helps me to access self-awareness, self-compassion, and compassion for others. I invite you to share in my grieving, to see my process up close, and join me in creating pathways for more ahimsa. My story takes place in Southern Ontario, and I will refer to things such as vaccinations, mandates, and masking. My intent with this book is not to try to change anyone's mind on these things, and that might be frustrating for people who believe strongly in the effectiveness of these strategies. To be clear, I believe many of these strategies were effective in slowing the spread of disease, and I felt a lot of pain around people who were unwilling to adopt those strategies. In this book, I plan to explore my bias as a way to foster my understanding of myself and others. While I have worked to try and keep my bias in check, this book might also be challenging to read for people who are adamantly anti-mandates. Bottom line, if you feel adamantly against or for mandates, this might be a challenging read for you. 
I value science and Western medicine in addition to other modalities of health and healing. I value the scientific process and see the process in a ritualistic sense. Humans have always passed information and wisdom from generation to generation and across cultures using different methodologies and formats. To me, the scientific process is a form of sharing wisdom, and I love encountering scientists who invite us into their wonder and appreciation of all they don't know. I am vaccinated and trust the scientists who have been making predictions and suggestions throughout the pandemic. While I don't think they necessarily have it right, they have never claimed to be a part of a right-wrong dichotomy either. I believe the pandemic has been a reminder of how interconnected we all are and the importance of acting collectively. I believe my government has been doing what they think is best to balance the needs of our diverse population. Perhaps I would value things differently than those in political offices, but I recognize the challenges people in all levels of government have faced throughout the various waves of the pandemic. It sure is a heck of a time to be a politician. Overall, I have had a very positive experience while receiving care from Western healthcare professionals. Keeping that in mind, this book may include details that might be upsetting to people who have experienced medical trauma. This brings me to my next caveat. If you have a deep distrust of government or science, or you have experienced medical trauma, this book might be a difficult read for you. I am new to the diseased and disabled club. I am discovering many aspects of life I once took for granted because I was privileged with good health for so long. My disease is not as debilitating, at least right now, or as visible as other diseases. So I still experience a lot of privilege even within this group. I am aware of how my other privileges have worked in my favor as I navigated my disease journey and have influenced how I process it. Without all the advantages I have in life, my experience would be very different. In fact, writing a book about my experience is a sign of my privilege. I hope my sharing opens the door for other discussions and considerations about the circumstances people might navigate in their disease journeys. In this book, I share the path that helped me persevere, but reading my optimistic and idealistic notions of living and collaboration might be hard for some people to take in. I'm so very new at this disease thing. People who have lived with disease or disability might chuckle reading my accounts of things they have experience with. Go easy on me, disease and disability veterans. Likewise, for people who are further along in their finding a HIMSA pathway, you may see me in my learning and recognize my immaturity. I don't always get it right even when there are many possible pathways to finding the peace and wisdom of Ahimsa. So why should you read this book, even though you may not share my perspective or values? Because by understanding my pathway to finding Ahimsa, you get a chance to discover your own. Humans have always shared stories as a way to develop compassion and share wisdom. In our world, change is happening in more drastic ways. In these moments, our unhealed wounds will undoubtedly be exposed. 
If we are going to survive the next strand of disease, disruption, or disaster, we need to practice healing, resilience building, and compassion in our moments of calm. I invite you to tap into my fleeting moments of ahimsa so you can readily recognize them in your life. Soak up the nuggets of wisdom of my disease offered me so you can be stronger. Join me. Practice with me now. So that's it. That's my foreword. That is the introduction to my book, Finding Ahimsa. I uh, I wanted to share that with you so that you could get a sense of what the book was like. And I'm really curious to hear any comments that you have after just hearing the introduction. Right now, the book is available for purchase, and I will put the link uh, to make that purchase uh, in the show notes. Right now, as I'm recording this, it will be available immediately on Amazon in a paper book, paper paper book, paperback. <laughs> what do they call it nowadays? Now that paper books are becoming extinct, is it paper book or paperback? Anyway, that will be available on Amazon and the ebook will be immediately available on Amazon. I am currently working on the audio version and I am looking into how to share my book in other avenues other than Amazon because I know that not everyone likes to purchase on Amazon. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this recording, I invite you to subscribe, share this with a friend if you think a friend might be interested in in this book that I've written. Uh, And yeah, check out my book. (laughs) Okay, take care. Bye.